Hi, Don. Hi, Tanya. It's beautiful December evening. I, I am so excited about this <laughs> and how this all evolved. Me too. We, are, we wanted to be outside. Right. And it has been dreadful weather, right? Yes, but it today finally came. was beautiful but chilly. Mm -hmm. And we have this gorgeous roaring fire here. Yes. So you might hear the sounds of the fire crackling and um, the dog barking, you never right. know, but we are outside again. And we had planned to, to try to do something like on a porch or earlier in the day. And just logistically, I have a house full of people. I have like college students taking finals and my husband doing conferences and, and it just wasn't gonna work out on my porch. And you had folks here like doing work. And so in the spirit of Advent, where it's about, you know, waiting in the darkness for the light to come, which is actually one of my favorite things about thinking about Advent, is that we don't miss out on that part of the not so great or the, the part maybe we want to skip over um, that really adds beauty to the experience. So I'm jumping ahead, but. So this isn't a book conversation. Right. This is just a special Advent thought mm -hmm. that we wanted to have a conversation about. And you've, whoa, the fire is tumbling and sparks <laughs> are going everywhere. So you've done some planning around this. I have. About thoughts you want to share. And it, it actually pulls from a lot of books. Let's see. Let me first start by saying when my kids were younger, as yours are, I could have been quoted as saying, I hate Christmas. <laughs> I, I'm struggling with that okay. right now. So I was, I tried not to say it in front of my kids, but truthfully, anyone who knew me, I wanted a t-shirt that said, I hate Christmas, like the bah humbug, the whole bit. I just was so exhausted of all of it and had those feelings of just dread, you know, even in the midst of the excitement that my kids would have and, and the things that I, did enjoy just the amount of work and stress and money and expectations. That's what I struggle with. That the oh. feeling that I'm really trapped in a commercial racket. Yes. And you can't break the illusion. You can't go around saying that to your kids. Right. So you're just I feel handcuffed to it. Right. I have I have And a... then that elf. <laughs> oh so my goodness. Gonna... So I am gonna swear. Okay, I was going to say I might have to warn people if I talk yes, about it. Yes, so this is a, a warning, around. Right, right? Because we call it the fucking elf. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was with a friend last week, and she said, "That's what she calls the elf." And his name is Timmy, and uh, you know her kids are. Uh, her youngest, I think, is in fifth grade, and then she has a middle child who's in like seventh grade, and then she has a child in high school. And she was asking the younger ones, she said, so tell me, like, what's the word on the street about Santa these days? <laughs> she was like, what is his status? <laughs> and the youngest one was immediately, she said their eyeballs were like round and big, you know, and they were starting to panic in their seats. And she says, her youngest sparked right up and said, mom. My childhood! <laughs> she said. So now, anytime she calls him the effing elf, her son will say, Mom, my childhood. 
<laughs> so she says, you know, I'm trying to respect the childhood, but right. it's hard. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And yeah. the fairness. Yes. Yes. The fairness, oh. the piles, the amounts, all of that stuff. The conspicuous consumption of it. Yes. And it's hard to feel the spirit underneath. Right. When I think about... Um, what I enjoy about, and I almost separate Advent from Christmas because of that. You know, it was late in my life when I was told about Advent. That was not a, it's not on the calendar in the church that I attended growing up. And so really? that was a new term for me. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that something? Um, and Lent, you know, like I didn't know what that was. And in fact, I messed those up because I had heard somebody say, um, I'm giving that up for Lent. And I just thought that was a funny phrase, and I said it to someone, and they were like, it's Advent, it's not Lent. I mean, they looked at me like I was an idiot, <laughs> and I kind of was. I was in high school at the time. But Advent sort of gave me a new pathway to Christmas, and what I've always appreciated and enjoyed about that is the moments of quiet that I get. Um, they're not a lot, but Certainly they're more now than they were when the kids were little, I'll say that. But even then, getting up early or being up late, I would try to find those pockets of quiet where I could try to tap into what you see on your kids' faces, which is wonder, you know? But more in a spiritual sense, more of who the Christ is for us. So anyway, I wanted to talk about, and I'll have to get my flashlight here so I can see. So I, I thought about, you know how Rob Bell, sometimes in some of his Rob casts, he'll say, first, we're going to talk about, he has this list. We're going to talk about this and then that. The sparks are flying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's this list of seemingly random things. And so I have this list. Like we're going to talk about quiet and the MacGuffin and Herod and meat and bodies and Huga and hope. Yay. That's my list. <laughs> so we'll see if we get there. The quiet for me, the waiting in the dark, is part that I've tried to trans like transfer to my children. Like we will light candles and try to do something that's a little bit quiet. It's usually on Christmas Eve super late and that's when they're calming down and all that stuff. And they sort of tolerate it they're older now, maybe maybe they, some of them enjoy it, but they don't comment too much. And I'll read a few things, and we'll light candles before we say goodnight and go to bed. And I think about this, I, this notion that the myth of the perfect Christmas, you know, the expectations that we have, and yet so many of the Christmases that I remember as perfect weren't. And uh, do you, can you relate to that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just oh, yeah. How striking that is. And it made me think of, you know, what, who we were just discussing, uh, Pete Rollins, about that notion of the MacGuffin, you know, that thing that you're after. And we've been watching Christmas movies lately, and so many times that's the MacGuffin in the story is the perfect Christmas, that it's all going to work out. And whether it's a comedy or not, you know, like that it will be exactly what you hoped it would be. It will be everything, you know, and it really never is. And yet somehow from childhood, we still have these notions that we had one, you know, like we had a perfect right, Christmas right. at some point. And we forget that we're remembering that as a child and we didn't see the stress on our parents' faces or the bills that they received in the mail after. 
are all of the things that went with that experience. And that Christmas is messy. And that really is the truth of it. Think about, um, I don't remember the name of it, but do you remember that song when you and I were attending church together that Brenda would sing? And, and it, was a, it was a Christmas song that usually would happen at the Christmas Eve service. And there was a line in it that said there was blood on the ground. Do you remember that? No. And it's, it, I remember it as a song about Mary. I should have looked it up because I probably could find it, but about that idea that the first Christmas there was blood on the ground and there was the smell of manure and there was all the wrong, quote unquote, wrong things. All the things that, you know, as a new mother, you'd never want to be in that predicament or be in that situation. And one of the books that we read and had a conversation about in the first season, <laughs> Nadia Boltz Weber, her book, Accidental Saints. Yes. She has a, a, a chapter in there about Christmas, and she talks about how we tend to, I forget the right word that she says. Um, well, at one point, I remember she says, like, weird things showing up in the manger. Yes. Like, the drummer men. boy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that notion she's saying like you know we we nice it up we dumb right, it down right, we, right. you know like we make it a hallmark card we do all that stuff to it and she said the character that we leave out is Herod and you know Jesus was a refugee baby born in the midst of a genocide that's what was happening and I'm just struck by that again that you know, she during her writing, the time she wrote the book, Sandy Hook had recently happened. You know, maybe maybe it was a year before, by the time the book was actually published, you know, from that time period. So I think that was 2017, 2016. And that idea, we don't, we don't think we can carry those two things together. You know, this idea of hope or peace or love or joy and tragedy and darkness but those are the things that go together at Christmas the things that um, we don't maybe want to look at or remember the hard things the paradox yes I felt that just writing my Christmas cards this year uh-huh right I you know was writing little personal notes on most of them and I I was going back to may you have joy and peace and then I thought well for some people that will make perfect sense this year and they'll know what I mean. And for other people, they might scowl or, or think, right. like, how can she Roll say that? Right. But I, that's what I, to me, that's what it means. It's, I can say joy and peace to you this season. And, of course, it's been a hard year, a dark year. But that's, that's what I'm hoping comes across in what I wrote. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, this is the event for that. You know, this is exactly the time for when those two things should go together, um, even though we often separate them. I, I think about, like, I have this beautiful little daily meditations for Advent by Richard Rohr, preparing for Christmas, and I'm really enjoying it. I would recommend it. It's been, it's a quick little thing and yet really thought-provoking, and I find it to be um, challenging some things and also pulling some things together. And <laughs> Tanya is fighting the, the sparks right now. <laughs> the wind is... <laughs> Um, 
and I so I'm reading it and enjoying it and I am alongside of it reading the book cast um, oh. which is I forget the subtitle of it but something about our discontents and and it's hard to do that like it's hard to read about peace and read that book it's discouraging it's it's shocking it's and yet I feel even more so like this year has shown me that this is the work to do like this is important enough it does belong you know like those two things belong together and one of the things that um, Richard Ward talks about is so I'm not quite sure where I came across it but it is somewhere in that little Christmas book by Richard Rohr and I wrote it down and he says hope is the willingness to live without closure without resolution and still be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. And again, that reminded me of Pete Rollins, you know, talking. Breaking our addiction to certainty. Yes. And that when you do, you know, when that thing that you've been chasing after whispers to you, I'm not the thing that's going to fulfill you. There's something beyond that, that there's new ground to stand on and your source is different more expansive, bigger. Those are my words from what he said, you know? Mm -hmm. And that allows for the messiness to be part of it. And there's a, um, a podcast that Krista Tippett and her show on being, she interviewed Mary Carr, who is a poet and a memoirist, and she she's the one who first presented this image to me and it has stuck with me every Christmas it's been a few years now where she talks about you know the incarnation um, Jesus being born a human being you know human baby and she <laughs> she says incarnate is literally in meat like when you're cooking hamburger <laughs> or grilling a steak and you pick up that chunk of meat, the beauty of the manger in meat. And she has this phrase, sacred carnality. And that idea that God is willing to be messy and bloody and to be hurt, to be vulnerable, to not have it all together, to not be empowered, helps me when I'm feeling like that's what I'm supposed to be doing or something? It reminds me just of one of the things I go back to all over and over again in motherhood is that he promises to work in our weakness. Yes. You know, and that uh, show his strength in our weakness. Right. And it's a mystery. Right. It's a paradox. Right. And I just trust that it's true. <laughs> and it feels like weakness to us. Unfortunately, I guess that's too like pushing into why do we think that? You know, why do we feel weak in those moments when the kids are all crying and screaming <laughs> and the dinner isn't made and we haven't showered and, you know, the list hasn't been tended to and, and all those things, the check boxes haven't been checked and we feel that struggle, we feel the weakness of it. But really, is that what it is? I want to somehow 
relate to that or embody that more than I do. Not just that I have to make myself be okay with it as if like it's this extra layer, but like to truly be okay with it. So I'm doing this, um, we just finished this class that I was taking, a cohort class for white people to, they wouldn't use the word interrogate, but to, to investigate your whiteness and to expose yourself in a vulnerable way to what you've been missing and what you've not seen, your blind spots um, to become a bit more educated. And it, so it's been this group that we've met via Zoom once a month and there's been a curriculum and you know materials, things I've had to read or videos I've had to watch. And, and it's been so challenging, but so rewarding. And I still, <laughs> I had a hard time the last class and I didn't have much to say. And I had made the comment about having, you know, like my Christmas devotional alongside my white supremacy book that I'm reading, you know, like my anti-racism book. And one of the comments that the instructor made, she said, you know, when you start doing this work, there's a propensity or a temptation to really intellectualize it. And she said, and just become a consumer of, you know, what's the next thing I can read and what's the next thing I can do. And I've certainly felt that. Have you? Yeah, yeah. And I guess because part of it, like once you start, once you take the risk and you start uncovering things that you don't really want to look at, you don't really want to see, that little exercise becomes a bit empowering. And then it kind of fuels the next, which is great. And yet she was commenting kind of on the pace, you know, and she's like, it's okay to, to slow it. Like this is a lifetime of work that you're embarking on, which I really appreciated. But sort of like the next level of whatever you want to call it. You might call it becoming an ally. You might be call it becoming an anti-racist. You might call it waking up. You might, you know, like kind of what the next, the progress towards <laughs> seeing things as they really are which is what Richard Rohr talks about, the kingdom of God, like the big picture, right? Things as they really are and as they're really meant to be. Your steps toward that coincide with your ability to love yourself, which when they first said that, it was like the needle on the record player just going, you know, like, what? You're telling a group of white people they need to learn how to love themselves better? And that started me down the road of, you know, reading some things in Sonia Renee Taylor's book, Your Body is Not an Apology. It's about radical self-love. And I'm only barely starting to scrape the surface. And that feels so strange to me because Jesus is the one who says, love your neighbor as yourself. That essential principle is, is such a core Christian way of living. And if we don't know how to love ourselves, we'll never be able to love the neighbor. And that's been clear to me, but I, I didn't think that I needed to spend any time on that. And one of the things that the instructor was talking about is an embodied experience of loving self and loving others and how it's really easy to get into your head. And it reminded me of, this is like a note card that I'm looking at and it's in this beautiful script like calligraphy you know hand done that I picked up at an advent service years back and I I can't make out really who the quote is by but I take this out every 
Christmas and set it somewhere and it has like coffee stains on it and it looks like maybe cake batter. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been all over my house. But the quote is this, and I guess essentially this is so meaningful to me about Christmas and it helps me put myself into place. And it says this, if God wanted to speak to our minds alone, Mary would have written a book and not delivered a baby. It's sort of just my musings of after this year, what do you do with Christmas? And permission to not have a tidy answer for all of it, or everything done, everything perfect, but to be present. And that's one of the things that Christmas lends itself to is this notion of yoga. And yes. I think you were a person who introduced yes. me to that idea, yes. were you? Yes. Yeah. So tell me, well, tell me your notion of yoga. Well, I'm not sure where I first came across it, except that I was immediately drawn to it. It's a Danish concept, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it is the idea of, we don't have a word that really translates perfectly, right. but it's this idea of coziness and experiential togetherness. Yeah. It's warmth and it's, it's blankets and it's candles and firelight and it's experiential uh, mood. Yes. And that, that quality is purposeful in their culture to get through the long winter. It has a lot of meaning. Yes. It's not just their style of interior decorating or right. that sort of thing. And so that concept, to be purposeful about creating that environment, especially because we also have a long winter, mm -hmm. to have a way to enjoy it that makes it special. Right. That you can only do this when it's cold out. Right. Really. And dark. Yeah. You know, dark early and drawing around candlelight, you know, as opposed to fluorescent light or even daylight, has that intimate feeling that you know kind of bonded and softer and it brings you into your body in a way it That's is experiential exactly. it is a visceral experience and it is acknowledged as such like where we don't really have that concept mm -hmm. in our culture we have sort of the our body is just a thing to carry around our head right right and that some <laughs> cultures and I'm certainly a product of that culture mm -hmm. the body is just a machine right. it's just that where the concept of yoga or incarnation is a wholesome, a wholesome, yes, an integrated experience, yes, and it is uh, physical, yes, and not always explainable. There's a mystery to it. There's sort of this like ambiance that gets created that you know I try to. Well, once you set me on the path of yoga, it felt very natural to me as well. You gave me a little book that I love and it still is on my coffee table, you know, and and I sort of embarked on, I gave, it gave me permission yes. to actually make that a priority. Whereas maybe before I understood that this was a cultural value that other people invest in and, and prioritize, I, I felt like it was frivolous or, um, Girly. Yes, yes, girly. But even something as simple as lighting candles, which my family does every night. Now, granted, they're not little, so I'm not, like, concerned about fires and, you know, anyone can light the match, you know, like, all that stuff. It's not a big deal. And it has become habitual now so that 
even if the TV's on, and it, it's on frequently, so I'm not going to lie about that. You know, we eat dinner watching TV frequently. And yet there are times when my kids will light the candles and they'll say, you know, like, let's just talk for a while. And I I feel like that, because we've been together a lot, you know, <laughs> so it's not like we've lacked for talking. And yet it it draws people in. And, and so it was something with me kind of wrestling with this idea of how do I stay in my body and, you know, not shame myself for the things that I am ashamed of, particularly this year. I've had my, like, really happy moments and felt guilty about them, that things would be going well for me in a time when they aren't going well for other people. And how do I live with that? And being able to carry those two things together, the darkness and then the light. But again, it did bring me back to Pete Rollins. I can't seem to get him out of my head. And how he talks about like the lack, you know, that beginning stage of being born and it creates this gap that isn't real. That, that's sort of his notion of it. And yet, as a mother, you know, who's carried children in my body. And this was something I wanted to say in that conversation and it just slipped my mind, you know, like it was probably in those papers that flew, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a moment where there is oneness, you know, like where you as a mother and then your child as a fetus are one. And so that separation is real. And the idea that it, it didn't exist or that there's this lack that we make up in our minds I don't know does that make sense to you it does well maybe that's just in a way he is a man so he hasn't had that experience and I think that all the time about when you don't have women teaching in the church Uh you miss these things yeah and that's not a reflection or a comment on Pete Rollins at all because we can only speak from our own experience right but I know exactly what you mean yeah yeah it reminds me of a book that we read this year by Glennon Doyle? Yeah. Is that right? Yep. I'm blanking. Untamed. It. Untamed. Yes. She has this great chapter in there about her daughter coming in one night to her bedroom, like kind of scared. And she asks her daughter what's wrong. And, and she says, I don't know, like nothing really. I just, I just feel alone. You know, like, I'm like I'm all alone in here. She says to her daughter, remember when we were at the beach the other day and this little girl was gathering, you know, ocean water in buckets, you know, and she was carrying the buckets up the beach. And she says, sometimes I think that my body is like the bucket, but I am the sea. Like I'm meant to be mingled. She says to her daughter, you know, like you're not the bucket, you're the sea. And I just thought that was beautiful. And that connectedness and that idea that everything belongs is one of the things that I hope to celebrate in a year that feels pretty broken and also pretty miraculous. So that's kind of it. My dear friend has, she decided this year she would do a little advent thing just for a couple of us girlfriends where she's, so she'll send a text with, and it's all different things, but one day she sent this, just this little meme. And it says, it is the beautiful task of advent to awaken in us all of the memories of goodness and thus to open doors of hope. And I loved it because, like you said, the memories are different than the actual experience. And the memory tends to be wholesome. And, you know, when you look back, it's better than when you're experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I try to remind myself that, not necessarily (laughs) at Advent, which 
maybe I will from now on. But when we're on a trip with the family and it's stressful, mm-hmm. I'm like, I know the memory of this is going to be wonderful. In a way, it reminds me of the whole concept of uh, we live in the in-between. Yes. The now but not yet. Yes. And so the Advent is that little taste of the, of the uh, not yet in the now. Yes. And so sort of the memory of that, even in the midst of the not yet, gives us hope. Yes. So I just love that simple little meme. It really, it was just what I needed. So good. Yeah. And that as a mom, my kids are making these memories. Honestly, the Christmases now, I don't remember them. They all blend together. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, I remember them more. Right. So my kids are building those memories now that will hopefully give them hope in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have to say, like, one of the good things about Christmas, because I did try to think about this today, because I felt like, oh, all I'm going to have to say is, like, the bad stuff, like we started <laughs> off with. But I do feel like someone once said, uh, one of our pastors uh, said that Christmas is a time where we practice giving gifts. Yes. And the way, when he said it, I was like, what a funny thing to say. But it is true, and I've, I've, really, I've come to really appreciate that, yeah. and that not just as adults, but we're teaching our children how to practice giving gifts and yes. how to practice being thoughtful, and in a way, it's just really good practice. Yes. And I have to say, like, I feel like this year, my kids, they are learning it. Mm-hmm. They are learning it, and that is it's wonderful exciting. wonderful see that, you know, isn't One it? of my yeah. kids, I, you know, don't tell the other one. <laughs> <laughs> they they pull a, a name out of the hat with four kids, so they each have one sibling to get uh-huh. a gift for. So he did get this sibling a gift, but then he decided he would make a treasure hunt. So in the box, oh. all that's wrapped in the box is the first clue. Love it. And he made this, there's like six clues, and they all rhyme <gasps> to lead his brother to the actual gift. Oh, my And gosh. I was so proud of him. I was just like, oh. And I wouldn't have expected it, you know? Right. And so they're learning. They're and the practicing joy, giving you know, gifts. like the joy yeah. that it takes to create something like that for someone else. Yes. That is stunning. Yeah. That's precious. In a way, just sitting here tonight feels like I feel a little paradox in this experience because where we are is so experiential and huga. Yeah. Right? With yeah. the fire and the stars and the outline of the trees. Yes. And yet we're having a conversation and our conversations, you know, they, they involve our intellect quite a bit, right. especially when we're having a conversation about a book and responding to someone else's intellectual thought about faith. So in a way, I'm finding it hard to capture where we are in this conversation. Yeah. I've thought about that a few times, like if people could just be here. I know. It would be so different. I you know. know I the... have thought that, you know, what I appreciate about doing this with you is the conversation after a year of not really being able to do this this feels so pleasurable it it feels like a gift you know to be able to sit with someone and have a conversation about something other than what's for dinner or what the news was today or the weather or how do you want to wrap it up a bow no don't have a tidy we don't have to end this conversation with a tidy bow okay Thank you, God, for our bodies and for fires and (laughs) candles and hot tea and Jesus as a baby and a human and that mystery. Singing is embodied. Yes, yes. It's probably why I'm drawn to it. Sure. What's a good... Come all you faithful? Okay. (laughs) 
Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. I hear geese. I know. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs>